0: From the newsroom of The Washington
1: Post. This is Cleve Woodson with The Washington
0: Post. It's
1: Ellen Nakashima with The Washington Post.
0: This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, July 2nd. Today, a conversation with The Post's advice columnist about navigating life after getting vaccinated. Well, Carolyn, welcome. Thank you. I I feel like you need no introduction because you are super famous in the world of The (laughs) Post. Um, But I would love to just have you say for our listeners who you are and what you do. I am Carolyn Hacks, and I am an advice columnist for The Washington
2: Post and in syndication and i've been doing this since 1997.
0: And i have to say, i mean for people who don't read the column, i mean your column is legendary. People are obsessed with it. I feel like it's often, i mean correct me if i'm wrong, but it is often like the most read thing on the post website. People love you.
2: And i remain mystified by that, but i am going with it. So, <laughs> yes, you're right. That sometimes it is the most read and i i still i am stunned when I see that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how did you actually get into this line of work of giving people advice as your job?
2: Well, I was working in the style section uh, for the editor Peggy Hackman, and she was the editor of Style Plus, which doesn't exist anymore. And she was telling me that she was being asked to consider some advice columns for younger readers. And she mentioned which one's they were. And I said, oh, those are awful. (laughs) I said, what you really need is a snotty 30-year-old writing one of these things. And (laughs) And you were a snotty 30-year-old at the time? I was both. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was just a throwaway comment. And then I went home and, and went about my business. And the next day, I just, I went up to her and I said, you know, I keep thinking about this. I said, what if I tried to write one of these things? And so I took some questions from other columns and answered them myself, and I'd say within a month I was writing an advice column.
0: That's amazing, and I, I want to ask this respectfully, but like, <laughs> what makes you qualified to write an advice column? Like, absolutely have you had absolutely nothing?
2: Absolutely nothing. Okay, so so this is I guess this is part of my mystification with the whole thing. Is I I really believe that. I answer these from a deep well of research that I do just trying to get through life myself. I mm-hmm. find a lot of things confusing and mystifying and I spent a lot of time in elementary school and and or just grade school in general just trying to understand how it all worked. And that is what I bring to the questions I get. It's like okay, I've thought a lot about this myself and I can pretty much say that with with anything people ask me. Mm-hmm. Or if it's or if it's completely new to me, I've I've done some thinking on something adjacent to it because this is just I would just sit along the edges of parties and watch people and and try to understand. I try to stay away from all the things that I feel I have no business answering so that I try to manage the questions that you would talk about with a friend. It's like okay, you know, I'm I'm really blue today or this person said this thing to me and I'm so angry or um I don't understand what's going on in this situation. So If it could be at the breakfast table, then I'm going to try to answer
0: it. So, Carolyn, we wanted to ask you for advice about things related to COVID and especially now that people are getting vaccinated. We're sort of reemerging in the world and trying to like figure out how do we navigate all this new stuff, you know, socially and logistically and meeting back up with people. Um, so we asked our listeners and also your haxies to send voice memos of questions that they've had. And we have a few here that I want to play for you and get your advice on them. Does that sound good to you? Sure. And for the record, I have not heard these before, and I believe you have not heard them either, correct? I have not heard these, correct. Okay. So we're going to be like wading through all of this live, and <laughs> hopefully you can you can provide these people with good advice. So let's listen to the first one, and I think Jordan Marie, our producer here, is going to
1: cue it up. Hi, Martine. Hi, Carolyn. My name is Chelsea, and I'm calling in from Oakland, California.
0: (laughs) I know this person.
1: App-based dating during COVID but before vaccinations set a very high bar for meeting, courtship, and eventual smooching. With more people vaccinated in my area, I'm brought back to a longstanding point of tension. Open relationships and polyamory are somewhat common in the Bay Area and many people put that prominently in their profile, which is super helpful. I'm someone who prefers more of a -a one-at-a-time approach, and serial monogamy isn't typically advertised, plus app-based dating can be quite a numbers game, especially early on. In the past, a question and conversation along the lines of, what are you doing with other people and what does it mean for me? comes up at a later stage in a budding romance when sexually transmitted infections are the risk factor at play. How would you suggest I navigate assessing whether a date is seeing other people and if those other people are vaccinated too? All the while, while I'm still trying to assess if I even want to spend more time with this new person. Thanks. I just want to
0: say this is a friend of mine who I know listens to the podcast religiously every day, like right when it drops. So I appreciate that she sent it in. But Caroline, before you actually give your advice, I'm interested to get your reaction to this one, because I do feel like this is a thing that I've had a lot of conversations about with my friends and like this. And I think it was true for the beginning of the pandemic. And I think it's still true now of sort of like, how do you talk through monogamy slash like, what are we questions when there are actual health implications associated with them?
2: I think this has a a two-part answer. The first part is, anytime you're talking about meeting and dating, it is a, a high wire act. You're just having to trust people on things that you normally wouldn't want to trust them on. Somebody could be lying to you. Somebody could be giving you half the truth. Somebody could be giving you their wishful thinking, which is, I think, the most likely you know, you present the person you want to be and not necessarily the person you are. And again, with with all of the best intentions, adding the COVID and the vaccination angle to it, it's really just another thing that you're already navigating. So so the first answer is just throw it in with the way you're handling everything else and recognize that you're still taking chances. Even if you handle everything perfectly, there's still a certain amount of just having to trust humanity. But the second part of this answer is that it just might make things easier because this is the the whole issue of COVID and vaccinations has been so politicized and has gone so haywire that you can actually just go in there up front and and mention it. And I think you're gonna get a really good idea of who you're talking to by the way they respond to your deal. You just the fact that you're taking it on up front, you're gonna find out a lot. If somebody bristles at you or gets uncomfortable or resents your asking, you just got so much information about that person that it may actually, and and think of a time where you've really, you've been able to get access to that much material on somebody with just one question. I think it's it's almost like the miracle topic.
0: (laughs) That is so smart, actually. Yeah, that you know that if they're like, well, why are you asking me? Or like, what business is it of yours that you... That is information that is useful in terms of how they react to talking about, you know, tough, tough questions.
2: You're going to find out whether you've got a like-minded person on such a deep philosophical level that it's like I'm thinking it's close to magic. But, hmm. but this is again, this is this is theoretical. I'm, I'm a theoretical. You know, we're having a conversation about this, so I'm not live in person in a on a date finding this out. But I have a hunch that it's magic.
0: And then what about the part that she brought up in terms of um, monogamy or like wanting to know, are you, you know, are are your potentially infected mouth, <laughs> tongue and lungs being connected to other people's potentially infected mouth, tongue and lungs? I mean, I know that <laughs> when you're vaccinated, that becomes like a little bit less of or significantly less of a, of a health concern. But um, but I still think it's a thing that you kind of want to. Ask, right. Like you you want to know when you're seeing family, like, OK, how many people have you seen recently? Have all those people been vaccinated? I want to go see my family. So I don't want to like accidentally transmit something to people who are vulnerable in my life. Do you feel like there's a way to tactfully be like if we're going to be Exposing our mouths, tongues, and lungs to each other in close contact. Then, like, I want to uh, be clear about what the expectations are from a health and emotional standpoint.
2: Maybe I'm just warped by all of this, but I love the way you just presented that. I think that's the best I've heard <laughs> because it's just it's there. It is, <laughs> you know, and and. And if that doesn't get somebody talking, I mean, these are all great questions. And you just, I mean, it's funny, your question to me could be how you bring it up with a date. You just say, we are in this weird universe where we have to consider that normal behavior is something we can't take for granted. And again, we can take for granted that people will be normal, but we have abnormal Implications and consequences to normal behavior. So, can we just talk about the weird stuff before we go any further? Because that information isn't necessarily going to be what saves you from infecting somebody's immunocompromised niece. But what it is going to tell you is am I talking to somebody who is going to be a partner in good decision making? Or am I talking to somebody who thinks that thinking about this? is for other people and not me. So I think you find out a lot about the person. And I think the only way you can operate is by trusting people and not specific outcomes.
0: We have a second question that, Jordan Marie, maybe if you could tee it up now. Hi, this is my question for Carolyn Hacks. One of the things that I've been thinking a whole lot about 'Cause I'm a gay man. And so obviously, you know, we've already had the HIV pandemic kill and try to kill, you know, so many members of the community. And I run into a lot of awkwardness whenever I meet, you know, other gay people that aren't yet vaccinated. And a lot of times, like I'll, you know, bring it up being like, Oh yeah, you know, like if you're vaccinated, like you don't have to worry about like wearing masks or, you know, something else like that. Um, or you know, it's safe to travel. But I don't know how to handle like the awkwardness afterwards of like whenever they're like, oh, no, I'm not vaccinated. I'm not doing that. And it's like, how do I handle that? You know, where do I go from there? Should I try and convince them? Should I just try and move on? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I love this question. Yeah, I do. love this. And, and, it's- oh, and I just want to say that I really relate to that feeling of like not knowing how to react when someone says that. Sometimes I'm like, well, I'm not this person's doctor or like close family members. So I don't know if I am I in a position to be like the persuasive force in their life. And or sometimes I'm just I do the same thing or I'm like, oh, oh, no. OK, well, I guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wouldn't make that choice, but I guess that's your choice. So um, <laughs> but yeah, what, what, what do you think? So it's funny before all this, I might
2: have been much more on the side of leave people be And that is actually a baseline that I'm still going to come back to. But I think that there are opportunities before you just go into full retreat. And once we've decided that we're going to try to take this on, I think the mistake that most of us make is to do a full information dump of all of the corrective information we have on something like that. And I think that has also been proven to be really effective at getting people to dig in on their bad ideas. So... I think the answer to a situation like this is instead of trying to take it on, I think you ask questions. So I think that you say it out loud. You say, okay, here's what I don't understand. You know, I I appreciate your honesty that you're not doing this, um, but I associate it with this. And I'm wondering how you get from our history to where you are. I'm curious about that. You know, do you mind my asking that? And then try to see what what the rationale is because let's say we have a responsibility at least to try to fix misinformation-based beliefs and we can argue about that on a whole other podcast but let's say we're going to just for the sake of of global survival we're going to say that there is some bystander responsibility
0: Mm -hmm. to be able to like communicate with other people and say like this is not what you're saying is not okay
2: right and so instead of saying what you think is wrong, I think you you have to start with a place of understanding where they're coming from, because you can't fix what is wrong if you don't know what is wrong. Hmm. So maybe what you're just seeing is the conclusion. You're not seeing all the steps that lead to that conclusion and where the broken step is. And so you've got to say, okay, so I'm curious how you came to this. And if they're willing to talk to you, that's great. And then you can find out what the reason is. And when you, when you know what the reason is, then you can say, oh, okay, yes, I've heard that. Or, and I, you know, I had that thought myself. And, you know, if you're interested, I looked into that and you can, you basically, you're gauging what led them to that decision. And also you're gauging their receptiveness to what you know about that. Mm -hmm. And again, you might hit, there are 20 different opportunities to hit the same brick wall along the way. But at least it's it's a way to try. It's a way to say, okay, is this person open to my perspective on this? But again, you have to be open to their perspective first. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of like opening it up as a conversation and not like a... A, a speech or like a brow yeah. beating, you know, that it's just like, I genuinely want to understand like what your position is here.
2: Right. And and believe me, we all do love a good brow beating, but it's always <laughs> on the delivery end. Nobody likes it on the receiving end. and We forget <laughs> that when we're delivering one. So <laughs> y- yeah, it's hard.
0: The, the other thing that I feel like I have, like in the few situations where I feel like I have handled this a little bit better, that one thing that I have felt comfortable doing or felt as like somewhat effective um, is talking about my own personal experience, especially if someone's like, oh, well, I'm hearing about these side effects and it sounds so awful and I really don't want to deal with that. I feel like I try to talk about how, well, you know, after I got vaccinated, like I actually felt fine and I, you know, I, I really didn't have that many side effects and I was able to work like normal. And, you know, in the weeks since then, it has just been so like such a mental load off my shoulders to know, like, I'm safe. I'm not going to get anyone else sick. It just feels like there is this um, this real, like, joy about the experience of having been vaccinated. And I feel like sometimes that has been well received. I
2: agree. I think if you're if you can talk to your own experience and if you could just, you know, a, a small preface of, yes, I I understand that I had my own misgivings. And mm-hmm. and but this is how it turned out for me. Yeah, and I think definitely speaking in the first person is is more effective. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love—books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new
0: episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. So, Carolyn, I think we have one more question, which I think we're going to hear now.
2: Hi, Carolyn. Throughout much of my life, my parents, especially my mother, have made body comments directed at me and my siblings. My mom would compliment me when she thought I looked trim and fit, and would let me know when she thought I needed to lose weight. I have told her I don't like comments about my body. She thought she was being helpful or complimentary, depending on my body size, but said she wouldn't bring it up again. This never lasted, and even when she didn't say something, she gave looks. I haven't seen my parents throughout the pandemic and have gained weight. I'm anxious about eventually seeing them and their inevitable looks and or comments. Please
0: advise. Thanks. Yo, I can so relate to this. Yes. (laughs) Uh, As someone who's had a lot of conversations with my mom and grandma and other female relatives that like, oh, Wow. You lost weight, or oh no, you've gained weight. Like what a disaster. Um yeah, I, I can imagine so many people are yeah. worried about this, like not seeing people in in a long time and worried about the comments. What do you think?
2: I answered a I, I did a column on this fairly recently and it was a little more extreme. And I I started out with, you know, you you actually don't have to see them anymore. <laughs> And and it's it's just really, there is a certain point where it corrupts the relationship so badly that you have to take care of yourself. But I, with this one, it's funny though, I, I while I'm listening to that question, there was a part of me that wanted to give the mom a big hug and say, I am so sorry that somebody corrupted your worldview so badly that this is how you see things. And I wonder if the questioner could try a radical empathy turnaround there and just say, I am so sorry that this is how you see things. Like this must be really hard for you looking at everything through this lens. You're never free of it. You know, you can't just see your kids as your your beloved kids. You see them through this lens all the time. And I, you know, just it's so it it's painful. It is such a waste of love and such a waste of energy. And think of all the mental energy that has gone to this. And so, obviously, the person asking the question is is carrying all of this frustration and the pain of of having a you know parents look at her this way.
0: Can, can I just say that I, I feel like that in and of itself is such a demonstration of like the radical empathy that you bring to your column, because I do feel like that's both. Definitely not what I would be thinking about in that moment on the receiving end. And also a thousand percent true that, like, the obsession with, like, any person that it's all, it's, like, so rooted in what you yourself have experienced and are now so obsessed with that you have to like carry it out or um, pass along this obsession to other people about what do I look like? What is my my correct weight? And you should also be worried about your correct weight.
2: Right. Right. To be preoccupied with your kids appearance, you have to have some preoccupation yourself with that. And yes, it's it's hard. And one of the things I've noticed is instead of alleviating some of the the burden on women, we've actually Corrected the you know the inequality by putting more of the burden on men. <laughs> in in recent, I mean, I think with each successive generation, there's more and more of a an attention to and preoccupation with appearance for for boys, and it's just like oh gosh no, correct the thing with the girls. Don't like don't share it with the boys. So yeah, so that's that would be my first suggestion. Is is a big hug to mom and say I am sorry that somebody gave you this worldview and. I hope that we can get past it. I will do my best not to look at you this way. And then then become the wall where you don't acknowledge, you don't respond to, you don't react to the comments like that. They they cease to exist for you. Like I am you make a you make a deliberate choice to live outside of that construct. I mean even, even though it's in, on your mind, you just you live the way that you want to live which is this does not exist to me. This pressure does not exist to me. Your questions don't exist to me. Your expectations don't exist to me because I am more than this. And then you live it and to, and you see if that breaks the connection in the relationship.
0: I also feel like I, 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 these questions are so funny because it's just like, especially because we live in a world where we all, because of like the societal pressures that we're all like preoccupied with our own weight, I feel like no one has ever informed someone for the first time that they've gained weight, right? Like you know, you know when you've gained weight, you've know, you know when you've lost weight or you know when, you know, you feel different or, or your clothes fit different or whatever, and it just it's like what you don't have to tell people that. They it's their body and they are way more aware of what's going on with it than you ever will be.
2: Well, exactly. And and so when sometimes I'm feeling chippy when I'm reading my email and somebody will I will give advice like this about the weight and somebody will write in but you know, but but overweight, your obesity is a huge problem and it's causing all these health problems. And, and, and I'm just like, and I write back and I said, fine. Who has ever needed their mother to be the one to point out that they're overweight? Who's ever found that out? Very similar to what you said. Who's ever found that out from the fir- for the first time from their mother? You do not need to be the messenger.
0: Or whose behavior has changed because of that. And and again, like a thing that I really struggle with in, in my own life. But, um, but I feel like it's just clear that like having your mom tell you that you've gained weight is not going to be the thing that makes you right, decide right. to like change all of your habits and practices. Right.
2: I've been waiting for this. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank yeah. you.
2: For showing me the way.
0: I also wonder if there's like a flip side to this, too, in terms of what people might be experiencing of having lost weight. And I and obviously all of our bodies are different. But, you know, I know a lot of people and, and I've had this experience in the past where losing weight during a traumatic time has been a sign of like things being wrong and your mental health being on the fritz and not you know, doing healthy habits of like eating regularly or thinking about what your body needs. And I feel like I, I would imagine there are also people who might be struggling with like, oh, my God, you lost all this weight during the pandemic. Congratulations. But that is, in fact, a sign that they have been struggling.
2: <laughs> yes. And, and and definitely there are people who have are dealing with cancer, for example, and have dramatic weight loss and then have a bunch of people saying, oh, my gosh, you look so thin. <laughs> Congratulations. They're like, no, this is not this is not what I wanted to hear. And actually, I I've had, I've had personal experience. One time I I had a depressive episode and stopped eating. And to anybody on the outside, it might look like I'm, I'm living my best life. But you're right. There are, there are reasons. And so it, it brings us back around to some very solid advice on just bodies in general is don't comment. People's bodies are not there for you to comment on. And you can be kind and you can give compliments, but the best compliments are based on choice. So it's like, I love that you chose those two colors together. You know, something like that, something that involves a decision is the best target for a compliment instead of of a, a fact of existence. And... And it's, it's hard because, you, you know, when you're having conversation, you don't always think that far ahead. And if you do think that much, sometimes you can get yourself all knotted up. But I think in general, if you can sort of give yourself this little rule of this person's body is not my business, I think you can stay out of a lot of these tough positions.
0: So, Carolyn, I feel like all of your advice here really paints a picture of how Complicated these times are to navigate. And even though it's like a joyous time to be vaccinated, to be out in the world, getting back to quote unquote normal, that there's a lot of complexity, sometimes some pain associated with it too. So I wonder if you have any advice generally for people who are listening to this about how they should be thinking about the next few months.
2: Well, I would say to... Give yourself and others some grace because we are navigating a lot of complexities and maybe I can't speak for everybody, but I really feel like our tanks are empty right now. But the people who are able to get out more and who are able to feel some relief still are tired. I think emotionally we're tired. I think this was a slow motion trauma for everybody. And I think the more you can bring that understanding to the way you you give and receive these social interactions, I think the better we'll all be.
0: Carolyn Hacks is an advice columnist for The Post. You can find links to her column in our show notes and at postreports.com. This segment was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Ted Muldoon. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Alexis Diao and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and Jordan Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnick and Renny Svrnovsky are associate producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. The Post's audio intern is Corey Suzuki. I'm Martine Powers. We will be off on Monday for the 4th of July holiday, but we'll be back on Tuesday with more stories from The Washington Post.